Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 5 at verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So we find here in the first half of this chapter 5 that... uh, This is the beginning of the story that is so popular. In fact, many people are very aware of this particular story. In fact, the the phrases that we use ourselves in our own English language today has become a common metaphor of reading the writing on the wall. And uh, that came from this story and this episode in the book of Daniel. And of course, we can uh, call this the handwriting to decipher uh, the wall. And that's... uh, 
That's where we are. And there's kind of a prologue in the first four verses. Then there's confusion in the room because of what's happening. Then there is the introduction by the queen, and she presents this idea that uh, the, the this guy Daniel has a history with the kingdom and with the throne in in terms of exactly this kind of a dilemma. In uh, in fact, when when the other uh, magicians and conjurers and and all the other fortune tellers couldn't do anything for Nebuchadnezzar. They have a history that, of bringing in Daniel, and Daniel has the answers. Uh, why they don't wise up a little bit and discover that this Hebrew prophet has a lot on the ball here. And uh, so, in uh, then verses thirteen through sixteen is it, it becomes a, a a sort of a negotiation between the king and Daniel about uh, pr- presenting the interpretation to this crowd, and uh, then there's the confrontation confront confrontation, excuse me, by the prophet in verses seventeen through twenty four. The interpretation comes of in the exact uh, words themselves in chapter five verses. 25 through 29, and then there's an epilogue at the end, verses 30 through 31. So that kind of gives you where we're going. Now, I only read down through verse 12 to start with because I wanted to uh, reserve the reading portion of verses 13 through uh, 30, 31, that is, until the second half of this particular episode. So we find here that we have an, uh, another Babylonian king. This is Belshazzar. And in fact, uh, this has given some controversy in some schools of thought because for many, many years, uh, no one could find any evidence of this secular king called Belshazzar over the kingdom of Babylon, ancient Babylon. So uh, what has been discovered is, is in fact, that he does exist as, as a figure of history. But what's interesting is he evidently was carrying a co-regency with his father, uh, Nabonidus. And uh, Nabonidus was out uh, of the country, uh, evidently maybe because of some sort of exile. Uh, but, uh, but more than likely, he, it might have been some other business he was taken care of and left his his son in charge of Babylon. And in fact, the evidence for this is actually complete, completely consistent with the what evidence we have that is in the passage where it says that uh, he can only offer Daniel uh, a third uh, uh, position in the kingdom. That means he is the second in position and Daniel would be given a third role. And so that in itself is kind of a hint that he doesn't uh, necessarily... Um, have the throne all to himself, he shares it with his father. Now, they call Nebuchadnezzar his father here. That's partly because there is no exact terminology like we use today about grandfather or great-great-grandfather and those kinds of titles you might give to people that are your distant relatives. Uh, In other words, if you are a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, then Nebuchadnezzar would be considered to be your father, and that's the way the language is carried out here. So we find that uh, there were other uh, kings after Nebuchadnezzar left the throne, after he had passed away, which is not recorded here in this book. There is a fellow by the name of uh, Evil Maradoc, and uh, he uh, reigned in uh, Babylon for two years. Then he is followed by Nergal uh, Sherezer, 
and uh, he murdered evil Merodach, his brother-in-law, and he reigned for uh, four years himself. Then there is uh, is, uh, Labashi uh, Marduk, which is the son of Nergal Shirazer, and he took the throne for less than a year before he was assassinated. And perhaps uh, Nabonidus and Belshazzar, his son, were somehow a part of the conspiracy. Uh, that's at least a running uh, uh, hypothesis about what's going on, and that Nabonidus uh, was exiled because of that conspiracy, but it still did not mean that uh, he didn't carry the throne. He just uh, he just left the, the capital city in order to protect himself, and Belshazzar reigned in his stead and uh, took over that uh, particular throne. So, uh, there. by the way, in 1914, there was discovered 37 distinct ancient texts that revealed that this fellow, Belshazzar, was crowned prince and functioned as authority while his father Nabonidus was away in Arabia. So we have uh, evidence even of archaeology and these ancient texts of uh, verifying or validating what we have here of uh, Belshazzar. And so he uh, carries on this great party. Now, if you read ahead to the end of the chapter, we know that the uh, the Medes and the Persians, uh, their army was outside the walls of the city already. And this is some sort of a um, uh, morale booster, maybe, or maybe it's just just arrogance in the face of uh, of this. Uh, eventual defeat. Uh, we're not quite sure why it's there, but uh, this this Belshazzar is a very foolish king in many regards because he decides that he just wants to throw this party. And then not only does he throw this, this party with a thousand of his nobles, uh, but he has his own wives and his concubines there, and and they are party and hardy. And they this is a a uh, debauchery in many regards. And then on top of this vulgar uh, uh, orgy that uh, is going on, they go to the storage room where Nebuchadnezzar has stored the the implements and the uh, uh, the articles from the temple of the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Moses and Aaron, and that God who had had these uh, in, implements inside the temple in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple, taken the implements, and put them in storage. And now this guy, Neb- uh, Belshazzar, think it's some sort of a, a great idea to go pillage these things and bring them into this party and use them for the vessels of serving this drunken orgy. And uh, that's what he does. And so uh, this is heaping on, you might say. This is not just sin. This is idolatrous debauchery and, and uh, using the, uh, the very elements, the very uh, implements and tools that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And in fact, uh, Daniel, who is writing this, says had uh, been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. So he wants to kind of underline this and bolster this uh, a great deal. So, so there's this party going on, and out of nowhere, you might say, literally, <laughs> out of another dimension appears these fingers and this hand in verse 5 and begins to write on the wall, in the plaster. Now, if this 
is merely an angelic work or whether or not this is God in some sort of a, uh, uh, anthropomorphism, we're not quite sure. But somehow this hand has been sent to inscribe this message. It's a brief message, but uh, it's very terrifying to have had uh, witnessed this particular thing going on. And so so if it is God himself uh, giving this, uh, this image or this, uh, this, uh, this sort of uh, representation uh, into this dimension of a, of a large man's hand inscribing on the plaster, then uh, this would have meant, his, meant his, uh, the third time he's done this. He's done it once with the original law of Moses, and then when they needed the copy made after the first one was destroyed, then he did it again. And so this would have been the third time that God's hand would have actually written anything at all. And notice the reaction of the king at this point. He says he he, is, uh, he grew pale, his blood just rushed out of his face, his hip joints went slack. And some people think that that is actually a euphemism, that he may have actually lost control of his, his bladder or his bowels there on the spot. And that is a phrase that they use to do that. And um, And so uh, he doesn't know where the interpretation is going to come from. And they bring in the queen. And this evidently is the queen's mother. And the queen's mother reminds her son that this guy Daniel has played an important role in interpreting uh, difficult things and uh, dreams and enigmas. And he can solve this problem. So we'll be back right after this short musical break. Let's continue on with the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 13 as this story continues this way. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, You will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. 
However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished he killed and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. So then we find the rest of this chapter and this familiar story and its description in Daniel's words of what all went on inside that uh, room, inside the palace where Belshazzar was throwing this party and he had stolen the implements and the tools and the chalices and bowls and and uh, goblets or whatever else was there that had once been in the very presence of the God of Daniel in the temple in Jerusalem as implements of worship had now become implements in the hands of this debauchery. So the king is desperate to find out what this etching was, what this graffiti was written in a supernatural way in the plaster. And uh, so Daniel is about to give him this interpretation. And, uh, of course, uh, Belshazzar has heard about Daniel. Why in the world, uh, if he uh, has heard about him uh, through the queen mother, uh, that's who... Uh, 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 was in the uh, palace room and 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 
said he should be brought in. You, you, you're not doing any good talking to the, to the rest of these magicians. Daniel is the one that has been given this particular gift and this ability. Uh, he's the one you should consult. And in many regards, you kind of wonder why uh, Daniel wasn't like uh, the point man, the first one brought in to do this, but he wasn't. Uh, that just shows the stubbornness of, of, a, of a person's heart, especially of this particular king and of uh, the traditions that he they just could not let go of in worshiping these these various gods and then bringing the god of Daniel down to this low level. You see, uh, Daniel was part of uh, part of the exiles from Judah, and and uh, Belshazzar seems to kind of want to kind of rub this uh, uh, and emphasize this or underline it in some way because he says uh, the exiles from Judah whom the, my father the king brought from Judah uh, there must be some sort of anti-semitism here that uh, is still being expressed even though so that he kind of regrets the fact that he has to go to this Jewish prophet to get the uh, to get the actual final answer but the, he has no other choice and so he he tries to negotiate this little uh, exchange here because uh, prophets don't come cheap, at least not in Babylon. And uh, so he wants to know what what he can give Daniel. And Daniel says it's not about a reward. This is about the message. And so uh, so that's what he does anyway. But before Daniel gets to the interpretation, Daniel preaches a sermon, but this is a sermon of history. This is historical events that Belshazzar, um, the great-grandson or grandson, that is, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he should have known these things. He should have been aware of them. The palace would have been uh, very much uh, clearly uh, a part of what was going on through the entire kingdom. So why in the world this was somehow uh, a secret thing that, that Daniel could actually do this, I don't know. But uh, uh, he, he says, he reviews history. You remember your father, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and the things he went through. Now, he wasn't technically his, his immediate father. He was more like a grandfather. And, uh, and yet, on the other hand, this is a part of this man's heritage, a part of the throne. He should know the history of the throne, especially when it involves the God of Daniel that uh, even Nebuchadnezzar had already issued a decree about uh, this uh, this God of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar had already uh, come to trust in this God of Daniel. And he's written his gospel tract in many regards, even though it's not the same kind of message we would have today as a gospel tract that would include Jesus's coming to earth and dying for our sins and raising from the grave. It included that this pagan king now exalts the God of heaven as being the ruler over all. And that was in that tract in uh, uh, Daniel chapter four. So, uh, uh, he he uh, Daniel continues on. He says, "You keep your gifts. I'm I'm about to review this history here." He says, uh, 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 "Everybody honored your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. They they respected him. He had all power in his hands, uh, power over men's lives, and they they feared this tyrant of a man. And yet God humbled him, brought him down to the level of wild animal in the weeds, and uh, that he ate the grass like cattle. And he humbled him until he." 
recognized the Most High God as ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. So Belshazzar did not learn that lesson. He should have. He should have read his history books. He should have had that story told uh, in the palace over and over again. But he did not. He ignored the words of God that uh, and and the testimony of his own grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, "You've not humbled yourself," and so that's the reason why God sent these fingers on this hand to write this graffiti on this wall during this occasion in which you are snubbing your nose at the very one who holds the breath of your life in his hands. He can wipe you out. <laughs> and that's, that's basically what he says. You, you've ignored him? He says, you want to worship the gods of silver and gold and and stone and wood, and they don't hear you. They don't understand you. They have nothing to do, and or nor do they have any power to change anything. And yet you want to worship them, and yet the God uh, most high, the most high God, he is the one who holds your life breath, and he's the one who holds your ways in his hand. He could stop you at a moment. And so he begins his interpretation, which is familiar to most of us now, and it's mene, mene, tekel yufarsin. Mene means that God has numbered your kingdom, that you've got only a short time here, Belshazzar, and he doesn't even know how short it is yet, <laughs> but uh, he says, and he repeats it, God is numbered, numbered, numbered your and numbered your kingdom. Uh, he repeats it twice, is, is the only, uh, is the only, uh, uh, written form here, but uh, God has numbered your kingdom and put it into it. Tekel means he's you've been weighed in the scales and found deficient, and that's exactly what Paul came to the conclusion. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the message in the New Testament, and uh, that's exactly what's written on the wall with this particular pagan king. He, and he uses the uh, the single word peraz instead of the plural word upharsing uh, in the inscription, but he wants to interpret the root word. He says, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. And so you see right here that Daniel says, this is happening. And in fact, it's happening right now. Well, Belshazzar wants to make this formal declaration of, of, uh, of honoring the Jewish prophet and somehow making a show of all this acclaim being given to uh, the prophet Daniel as if he had anything to do with it himself. And, uh, and yet, th- all this honor and all this glory and th- all this promise of a third ruler in the kingdom, it only lasted maybe a matter of hours because, because by dawn, it uh, says that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain, but Darius the Mede received the kingdom. You see, outside the gates of the city of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the armies of the Medes and the Persians, had diverted the channel of the Euphrates River and had gone under the wall of the city and were, were taking over, even perhaps while this was occurring. So this kingdom of the head of gold of the original image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen is now in Daniel's lifetime being transferred to the kingdom of silver in that image. And this is the silver. This is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And they are here to take names and, uh, and take over. 
And this is the shift of these Gentile powers in that whole region. The Medes and the Persians are now in control. And it happened the way the Word of God said it was going to happen through Daniel. Thank you, dear Father, that you have given us your Word, your words of prediction that have transpired exactly in history the way they were predicted to be. Thank you that we can rely upon other words, other words of prophecy, because we have the others, the previous ones, validated by your history that we have seen and we can study ourselves. We pray with the assurance that your words will be carried out in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>